So we are in Romans. We are moving to the end of this fantastic book in the Bible's New Testament. And I want to talk to you this morning out of Romans chapter 14. There's only 16 chapters in Romans. So I'm flying through, all right? And uh, we're in Romans chapter 14, and this is called the black and white gray zone. The black and white gray zone. Before we do that, I uh, wanted to answer a question Somebody asked me right after the message last week on the book of Romans, and the message last week was about, oh, wow, good, the, the video guy got it. Yeah, it's about submission to authorities. Ugh, I can feel a little twinge just when I say that. And so the question that was asked was, well, hold on here. Isn't Paul contradicting himself? Because Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, submit yourself to the governing authorities, and the authorities are there because God put them there, and we went through that whole thing. And he says, well, hold on a second. Romans chapter 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So the question was, hold on a second. Isn't he contradicting himself? Do not conform. Doesn't that mean you don't Follow the authorities? Is the pattern of this world the authorities? Is it not? I thought this is a very good question. I never heard that question before. The two chapters are talking about two different things. So Romans chapter 12, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is the way that a person or people live without God. You can predict it. You can watch it. You can see how people live without God. You can see the selfishness in people. You can see the materialism in people. You can see the anger in people. You can see the sin in people. And he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You can watch it. You can observe it. It's a repeatable pattern. Don't conform to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And before that, he talks about offering your, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. So that's different than the authorities. That's not the pattern of this world, okay? That's the, the general sort of uh, nat natural law of the land, the authorities. So the Christian is still obliged to submit to authority, even though they're a Christian, even though they live in the kingdom of God, they still live in the world. And you're going to be punished. If you do wrong, you're going to face consequences. If you do right, you don't have to be afraid. But if you do wrong, you're going to get caught. You're going to get punished, even if you're a Christian. This is what he's saying in a general sense. Okay, So I thought this was a great question. Uh, moving into Romans chapter 14, this is one of those places where the author really does have a switch, to a degree at least, in his train of thought. So you're your, your Bible is going to have a new heading there in Romans chapter 14, and it really doesn't, doesn't cause you a problem as you're reading it. You, you, he is kind of focusing on a different subject when he starts Romans 14, and it's a, it's a very real and relevant subject when you think about it. I call it the black and white gray zone, which is a bit of a contradiction, I suppose. And what Paul does here is he's going to talk in the whole chapter about people who have differing views and differing behaviors on what he calls disputable matters. So he starts the chapter off, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And he breaks this 
whole thought down for really the whole chapter. So one person's faith allows them to eat anything. You know, you've got to jettison yourself back into the first century there where you have these types of controversies that are taking place. One man's faith allows him to eat anything. He can eat the kosher food. He can eat the non-kosher food. He can eat the pork. You know, he can eat anything, as I often joke, except okra. I don't like okra. Some of you know my, I come from a Jewish background. I eat anything. It doesn't matter, folks. It can be medium rare. It doesn't matter. And if I'm worried, I just do a little prayer over it, and that's it, okay? So one, one man's faith allows him to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. person's vegan. Maybe they're following a kosher dietary laws there. Not sure. He doesn't break it down, but you got a difference of practice. Difference of practice. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them, both of them. They both differ on this thing of eating or not eating, but God accepts both of them. Go figure. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master? Servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. And he's going to give different examples. So I put it on your screen there, and you've got the person who says, I eat everything. And then you've got the person who says, no, I eat vegan. I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. Then you have another example he's going to give, and this is about special days. Probably not the Sabbath day. It's probably different special holidays and so on. Sometimes Paul talks about new moon festivals in the New Testament. could be something like that. So you have the person, and he says, look, I don't care. All days are the same to me. There's no specialer day than the other day. The person says, you know, this is the day that the Lord has made, and so that's it. And then you have the other person. And he says, well, no, I observe certain special days. Now, it's curious that Paul calls the person who's a little more conservative on this side. He uses the term weak. Now, I don't want you to be disturbed by this. What he, he takes the position of he, he can eat anything. Every day is the same to him. The drinking thing, which we'll get in a second, Paul has a position of freedom as you read through the New Testament on these, what he calls disputable matters. So he uses the term weak to describe the person who has a more conservative view, more uh, careful about these things. But he's also saying that person's faith is very acceptable to God, just like the other person. They both have differing views, differing opinions, but their faith does not allow them to do this. And you are to understand that God accepts both people with both positions. Another one that he just mentions really briefly is the person says they drink wine. Is this a debate about alcohol or not alcohol? We're not sure. Uh, but you have a person who says that they'll drink anything. They'll drink the wine. Another person who says that they won't drink the wine. So Paul calls these things disputable matters. And the whole chapter is, how do you deal with these things? How do you treat one another? How do you navigate in your relationships in the church community with these differing views and these differing opinions on 
disputable matters. Be careful. This is not on doctrine. This is not on whether or not Jesus died on the cross. This is not on whether or not Jesus was born of a virgin. This is not on whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead. These are strict uh, uh, doctrinal issues. These are what he's talking about here are matters of practice, matters of Christian living. And he's saying here that there are these disputable matters. He gives three examples, but he kind of broadens it and he uses more general terms as you read through the chapter. It could be many things. He's just picking out three. And as an overall principle, what he says is you accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. And he's going to give several lessons and several practical ways of how do you do that? How do you accept one another when you have differing views on these things? Uh, so if a few observations and thoughts before you get to the real nitty-gritty of how it applies to 21st century today. So there are these matters. There are. You know, it, it, I wish that life was all black and white. That's why I call it the black and white gray zone. I wish it was all black and white. And there, there are people in churches who would love life to be black and white. It's not black and white, folks. It's, it's gray all over the place. There are all kinds of things and all kinds of questions in matters of how does a Christian live their life that are somewhat gray. And this was very real in Paul's time. He picks on some examples that are relevant to him, but there are many that are relevant to us, folks. And I'm going to use the word preference also and talk about preferential matters because that's where it gets a little more relevant to us. It's a person's preference. They can eat anything. This is another person's preference. They can't. You want to call it a disputable matter, fine. You want to call it a preference, fine. means the same thing. But what is that? <laughs> what is a disputable matter? Because I can hear some of your thoughts right now, and you're thinking, ah, this one here, this is not a disputable matter, you know? This one here, that's not a disputable... Listen, Christians shouldn't be caught dead in a movie theater. It's not a disputable matter. It's a joke. We're in a movie theater. Okay, but there are some people, and they want they want their disputable matter to be non-disputable. They want it to be like kosher, strict. You know, uh, the, the the Christian has to dress a certain way. Folks, this is a matter of dispute. This is a this is not you're not going to find anything in the scripture that says thou shalt wear this specific thing. You know, on this Sunday morning, you're not going to find this, folks. This is a disputable matter. So what is that and what is it not? A general principle for you. If the Bible is not addressing the thing, either directly or implicitly, it's just not addressing it at all. The Bible has no concern with it whatsoever, not even by inference, not even, not even by... Um, you know, you, you can take a principle from the Old Testament and apply it today to today's world, and you don't even see that, folks. If the Bible is completely silent and disinterested in the thing, uh, then it's a disputable matter for us today. If, if it's not speaking specifically about it or implying anything about it, it's disputable. You know, a, an example. Should a Christian work in... 
I don't know, work for Lotto Quebec. How about I put that one out there? Should a Christian work for Lotto Quebec? And there are some people who say, no, 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 it's a sin, it's horrible, you shouldn't work for Lotto Quebec. Well, I've got three kids to feed, and I'm divorced, and all I'm doing is administration, you know, for Lotto Quebec. It's not like I'm, like I'm, not, I'm not stealing people's money, you know, I'm working in... It's a disputable matter. You're going to have some people say, no, I'm not comfortable with it. No, I'm not. You're going to have others, and they're going to say, well, this is, this is not a big issue. Now, if that Christian were to say, well, I, you know, I'd like to be a drug dealer, is that okay? Well, obviously, folks, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a disputable matter, okay? That's a sin, right? Do you see the difference? So, oh, some of you don't see the difference, you don't, Nobody plays the lottery in here, okay? I don't play the lottery either, okay? I'm not a fan of the lottery. But I'm just saying, you've got to learn to distinguish what's a disputable matter and what isn't. There are certain things in Christian living that you flat out, they're sin, okay? I'll bring one to the table here. Alcohol. This is one that a lot of chatter about this. Okay, whether a person is on the side of, I don't touch a drop of alcohol, or I do, uh, you know, have alcohol once in a while, both sides will agree drunkenness is a sin. It's a sin. Why? Because the Bible says so. It's clear in the scripture. Oh, yes, but what about a sip here and there? What about, you know, the, I had a glass of wine with my meal and so on. What about that? That's disputable, folks. That is disputable because you're not going to find anything in the scripture that says, now remember, thou shalt not have one single drop of alcohol in thine entire life. You do that, you're going to have a lot of problems reading passages in the Bible, like communion. When Jesus, and the Last Supper even, that's wine, folks. That's not Kool-Aid at the table. Okay, it's used all over the place in the scripture, but people will definitely agree on both sides of this dispute. Drunkenness is the sin. Consumption here and there, this is disputable. Some will say, I'm not comfortable with that. Others will say, I am. Folks, I'll tell you my personal stance on that issue. I don't touch it. I don't touch alcohol at all. I don't, I don't, I don't. That's my personal position on it. But I can sit at a table with people who are drinking. It's not an issue for me, okay? But I don't sit there and slam them over the head and say, you are not supposed to do that because I don't, you shouldn't. No, I'm supposed to accept that person. That person has a faith that in this case would be stronger than mine on this issue. But I'm not going to, to enforce my personal opinion my personal position on them. Do you, do you understand the difference? So we have to learn to distinguish what's a disputable matter and what isn't a disputable matter. And those of you who have the same view as me on alcohol, I know some of you are saying it's not disputable, Pastor. Nice try, but it's not disputable. Yes, it is. You can talk to me after, and I'll, and I'll, show, you, I'll show you from the Scripture. Okay? I have friends in ministry, folks, who say, Pastor, you're wrong. It is, it is not disputable. It's doctrine. You can't have one drop of it. Oh, my goodness. We could have a long debate. That's why it's called a disputable matter, right? So you have to learn to distinguish. We're not talking about doctrine. We're talking about matters of practice here. And I will say 
just to go back, swing back on the conservative side of things. Nowadays, there is a growing swell in the contemporary church, in particular in the areas of sexuality, to try and make those things disputable matters and not matters of, hold on a second, there are strict uh, commands in the scripture about human sexuality. Now there is a groundswell to try and make this into a secondary issue and make this into a disputable matter. Again, folks, when the scripture speaks clearly about something or even by inference about something, you cannot play the disputable matter card. But there are many issues where it's clearly a disputable matter. It happened in Paul's day, happens in our day number three. The church exists as a community. The people wouldn't be disputing if they weren't together. <laughs> they came together, and one has this view, one has this view. Why do, they, why do they even know that? Because they're coming together, they're meeting together. They have community, they have relationships with one another, and that's what the church is, folks. I'm a big fan of the online, as you know. I, I, we put time and energy and money into the online. Make sure the camera doesn't go to sleep while you're, while you're taking notes there. And, uh, and uh, uh, I love the whole thing, and I love the fact that people discover our church through online. But folks, it's better to be together. It is. It's better when you're in the same room with somebody and you can see them and you can interact with them and you can touch them and you can hear them, you see them. There's a way, there's communication that's missed through online. It's good, but it's not as good as being together in community. Together is better than community electronically. It is, folks. Even though it's a wonderful tool and I love it, at the same time, I love this more. I love being together with people even more. Church is community. If you didn't have community, you wouldn't even know about these preferential things. And the overriding principle that he gives is acceptance, yes. Judgment, no. And again, we're not talking about matters of doctrine here. We're talking about matters of practice, and those matters of practice are in the disputable category. Do you follow me? Because I don't want to be misquoted here, and all of a sudden, Pastor Joe's gone off the deep end, and everything is acceptable to Pastor Joe, except okra. I'm not saying that, folks, okay? <laughs> have to be funny with some of Romans, all right? Some of it is hard to understand. A overall principle, acceptance, yes, judgment, no, all right? Now, you get to the 21st century, you get to the modern church, because I can hear some of your thoughts, some of you are saying, Pastor, like... What's the eating or not eating? I, this is irrelevant to my life, you know? This uh, drinking or not drinking, it's uh, irrelevant to my life. Special days, not special days. I just want more holidays so I get more time off work, whatever the day is, right? I know some of you, you're saying, this is interesting in the first century, but not interesting to me in my life today. Okay, let's talk about preference. Let's talk about preference in the church context. Talk about preference, because that's a disputable matter. And this is when it gets real in the church today, when you use that word preference. I have seen, and I've, I've been pastoring for 22 and a half years full-time straight, I think it is, 21, 22 years. I have seen over and over and over again, big church, small church, other countries, 
when I've had the privilege of going on trips and preaching in other countries even, in other churches, doesn't matter, other languages, doesn't matter, the same thing happens across the board. It's fascinating to observe. And when you talk about people's preference in church, that, those are disputable matters. And that's when people get really, really uptight. I'm going to tell you the top ones that I have seen over and over again and experienced personally, repeatedly, even here. I'll be very candid with you. It didn't take 20 months for it to happen here. And, you know, the church is seven years old now, but I've seen some things and heard some things that Tell, share with you some things anyway in this context. Number one on the list, usually in every single church, when it comes to disputable matters or matters of preference, is the worship. Is the worship. When I say the worship, I don't only mean the singer. I don't only mean um, you know the, the songs that are chosen. I mean everything pertaining to public worship. People have preferences. People have ways that they want done, it, it, or ways they want that done, and that there's always something that people don't like. Always. I've, the things that I've heard, literally heard them word for word. You need more of this kind of music in your church. If you sung this music, then there'd be revival in your church. But you don't sing it, and that's why your church is dead. I, I've heard that, folks. I've heard, um, and the church isn't dead, by the way. <laughs> it was the opinion of somebody. And uh, in any case, uh, you know, I don't like the, you know, you guys got a guy playing an electric guitar in your church, you know, with big muscles. Like, that's not, I don't, it's not my preference. You know, this is, it's, it really, really irks me. You know, that's fine, uh, but that's a disputable matter, isn't it? That's a matter of preference, isn't it? Oh, well, you know, the lights, the, the, the way the pastor dresses, goodness, the way the pastor sings, <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> you found that one funny. You know, the, on and on and on and on it goes. You shouldn't let people dress this way when they're on the stage, pastor. It's a distraction, you know? If a woman is leading worship, I'm going to get very real with you in this message, folks. Woman is leading worship, she got to wear pants that reach down to the cement floor, that go down under the ground. If a woman is leading in worship, she must wear, she cannot show, it's a distraction. And, you know, the men today, they're just, my goodness, folks, like, this is a disputable matter. You know, why you sing that chorus over and over and over again and hypnotize people with this chorus over and over and over again? There's no, the God isn't here. There's, not, there's no spirit here. Da, 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 da. On and on and on. Folks, all disputable, isn't it? All disputable matters. All matters of preference. The, I don't like the lights. I don't like the temperature. I don't like the air conditioner. I don't like the heat. I don't like the way people dress. I don't like the way it sounds. It's too soft. It's too loud. It's too dark. It's too light. It's too this. It's too that. On and on and on it goes. Matters of preference. I don't like the style, the way that the pastor preaches. I don't like it. I've heard this before. His messages are like frozen dinner. I've heard this before. 
I, I don't like the way he delivers the message. I don't like his voice. Voice is too irritating. You know, I wasn't born with a preacher's voice, but thank God for a sound man who can make my voice sound good. You know, oh, I, I've heard people criticize my family. Most pastors, just so you know, live through that, folks. Most pastors endure that. And they, people go after their family, go after their wife or their spouse, go after their kids. Oh, I think, I've heard this before. I don't like the kid's hair. Their hair is too blonde. I've heard that before. I've had people come up to me. I'll be very honest. I don't know if my wife is in the room, but I've had people come up to me with my wife standing there and say, you I like, but your wife I don't. Excuse me? I've had people say that, and they said that they were prophesying. Needless to say, I said, ma'am, sir, I don't agree with your prophecy. I've had people do that, folks. It's kind of the silent stuff that pastors deal with. Every pastor deals with it. Go after the, and this is all matters of what? Preference. It's all disputable matters. It's all, it's all nothing. A lot of it is decisions that are made. Well, you made this decision. You decided to do this. You decided to do that. You decided to not do this song. You decided to not do this message. I asked you to preach on this, and you never preached on it. I wanted to sing this, and you didn't want to sing that. I wanted it this way, and you did it that way. It used to be in, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, back when people were doing Sunday night services. Remember Sunday night services? Those of you who've been in the church for a long time? People would come, get this, they would come to church in the morning and they'd come back at night. Go figure. Crazy people go to the same place twice in a day and spend the money on gas. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine if I brought you back here for 6 p.m. tonight. <laughs> and you know what would happen? The people who say, Pastor, you've got to have 6 p.m. services. It'd be revival in the church. If you had 6 p.m. services, there'd be revival. Yeah, you have the 6 p.m. service, and guess who's not there? The person who said there'd be revival. Well, maybe there'll be revival, but without them. These kinds of things, folks, these, this is the real nitty-gritty of church life. And when people, they recognize you have preferences. I do, too. Most of these things, pretty well all of them, are all disputable. They're all disputable matters. You're going to feel comfortable with one thing. Your neighbor's going to feel comfortable with something else. I can have somebody come to me at the end of a, end of a service and say, well, great service, pastor. This is a great message of worship. Da, da, da. And then I can have another person, the same, per same message, same service, same everything. They're two seats over from their neighbor, neighbor, and they say, ah, you know. And they've got criticism after criticism after criticism. How is that possible, folks? It's the same message. Well, that's because it's preference. Because they're disputable matters, it's because some people it just their wiring works with something, and others their wiring doesn't work with other. What does Paul say? He says, the way that you handle this, the way that you deal with this is critical. And this is what Romans 14 is all about. How do you handle these things? I'm going to put two things on the screen here. Hopefully you can see it. Good, and I'm in the center, good. So there's a wrong way, and there's a right way. P 
people who have a, a degree of maturity in their Christianity, a degree of it, tend to lean on the right side of the screen. They tend to be more on that side. People who have some type of discipleship, some type of spiritual formation, they tend to be on the right side of the screen. People who don't are on the left side of the screen, and they, they're in the sort of wrong way of handling these things. And, but people who do are more on the right side. And, I, and I, I'm not trying to be political left-right, okay? It's not a joke in that way. I'm just putting putting columns on the screen, okay? So let me tell you about the wrong way. Now, unfortunately, I'd probably say that I've seen the wrong way more than I've seen the right way, if I'm being very, very candid, very, very honest. Probably. Although, in, in fairness, the people who do it the right way, you never hear from them because they don't have complaints. So maybe my stats are inaccurate. But I'm telling you, the amount of hours... The amount of pain spent on the wrong way, even the amount of money. Folks, I've been in situations, I'm going to be very candid with you, I've been in situations where uh, there was a lot of money spent handling people who did this the wrong way, a lot of money. That money probably shouldn't have been spent, but when people get upset to the point where they're calling police and lawyers, it starts to get expensive. And that, this is precisely why Paul is writing this. He's saying there's a right way of dealing with disputable matters and there's a wrong way. On the wrong side, when we fail to recognize the faith and the conviction of people who we don't agree with. person says, I don't eat the food. And you do eat the food. You are to recognize the faith and the conviction of that person. Paul says they're doing it unto the Lord. One person eats the food unto the Lord. It's because of God that they feel that they can eat the food. The other person says, no, I don't eat the food because of God. So what you do is you're to recognize that. But the first mistake when you're handling it the wrong way is that you fail to recognize, hey, that person who you disagree with in that disputable matter, that person has just, just as much faith and just as much conviction as you do. Now, Paul may say it's a so-called weak faith, but it's faith. So you've got to respect that. You've got to say, hey, they're doing this for this reason. But when you fail to do that, it tends to start a chain of events. And I have seen this over and over and over again. Again, big church, small church, different churches, different churches in different places, in different countries, in different languages. It's the same old story. So it starts with, okay, I failed to recognize my brother or sister has, uh, is doing this because of faith and conviction or not doing this because of faith and conviction, even though I don't like it. I fail to recognize that. So what do I do? I start judging. I start to judge, and this is precisely what Paul says not to do, passing judgment. Now, how does that occur? This is what I've seen. If you get nothing from this message, okay, this is what I've seen. It starts with individual and then leads into group gossip. So 
When an individual, listen closely to me, when an individual comes to you privately and they talk to you about somebody else and it's negative, folks, and it's on a, certainly on a disputable matter and they're talking to you and they come to you under the pretense of, well, I can trust you, I need to share this with you and so on. And they're talking about somebody else in a negative, critical condescending, judgmental fashion, and you listen, and you hear, and you absorb, let me tell you folks, you are not doing that person a favor, and you are not doing yourself a favor. Because what will happen most of the time is because that person had an audience with you, about somebody else on a disputable, preferential matter, which happens in the church all the time, folks. Because that person got an audience with you about somebody else, that person, somewhere down the road, will get an audience with another person about you. If they talked about someone else to you, they will talk about you to someone else. You're not doing them a favor, the right thing to do when someone does that to you is to say, stop, don't continue talking to me about somebody else. I don't want to hear your preferential thing about somebody else. You've got an issue with somebody else. Who do you go to? You go right to the somebody else. Don't come to me. And this happens to pastors all the time, but it happens to any, anybody that talk, 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 talk. You stop it dead in its tracks. We have um, in our church the way that we do membership is very, very easy. Very easy. And I don't talk about church membership often. I should talk about it more. What church membership is about at the end of the day when all, of, when all is said and done is really two things. Number one, you have to have church membership if you're going to operate in the world. You, you, you can't, if you don't exist in the mind of the broader culture, in legal things and administrative things, then you can't, you can't function. So you have to have a membership in an administrative and a legal sense. But in a, in a biblical sense, what membership really is about, beyond the idea, the obvious of belonging and so on to a local congregation, it's about accountability. That's what it is. It's about accountability. And one of the things that, I just have a sheet of paper that I make people sign, and one of the things we say on that piece of paper is, I will not let, I will not let this church, or I will not be, uh, um, I will not let this, let my membership be about preferences. So it's not about preferences. I don't let preferences govern you know, my membership. I forget the wording there. I will not let it be about my preferences and my desires. And this is, you're basically saying, look, if I don't get what I want, if it doesn't meet my preference, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it. And that's one of the things that people sign off on when they put their signature in. I will not let it be about my preferences and my desires. Because if it is, then I'm going to fall into the left-hand side there. I'm going to start to be judgmental. I'm going to start to engage in individual gossip. And once a person gets an audience with an individual about somebody else, they will try again, and they will try again, and they will try again, and then they've got a group of people who agree with them. I have seen this in big church, I've seen this in small church, and then you get a group of people, and that group of people starts talking, and that group of people, sometimes it leads to a full-scale rebellion, folks. 
it leads to a full-scale schism, a split, where you've got to deal with this whole thing of, oh my goodness, this is now a monster, all because of preference and disputable matters that were not handled correctly, and then you've got major conflict that happens, and then you've got condemnation that happens, and everybody is hurt all over the place. Sometimes they bear it for the rest of their lives, folks. I've seen people who, for the rest of their lives, they will never forget that whole thing that happened to them in that church, in that whole setting, in that environment, this, 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 and it was all because preferential matters and disputable matters were handled the wrong way, and people were hurt, 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 and still hurt, even sometimes for the rest of their lives. Oh, this is why Paul spends a full chapter on this. What's the right way? And again, in fairness, maybe there's more people than not doing it the right way, but you never hear from them. <laughs> they never say, hey, pastor, I just want you to know, someone tried to gossip to me today, and I just want you to know that I told them that I told them to be quiet. You very rarely hear that. People will very rarely say that. Sometimes they just do it instinctively, but they don't go boast about it, right? So maybe there's more people on the right way than, than I think there are. So what does the person in that way do? According to Romans 14, you accept the person's faith and conviction. Even though you don't agree with their preference, even though you don't agree with their practice, you accept the fact that they're doing it because of their faith and because of their conviction. Maybe they're on the side of, I do this thing, and maybe they're on the side of, I don't do this thing, but you accept that. And you say, I don't agree, but I accept this person. I will not judge this person. I will not uh, condemn this person because the person has faith. They're doing it because of their commitment to God. This is the way their conscience speaks to them in that, so I'm going to accept them, even though I disagree with them. I know some people who, they're, they're in churches and their pastors are extremely conservative on some things. Extremely. They're not legalistic, but they're extremely conservative. Like, whoa, it's very conservative. And it's not their cup of tea. But you know, they're in the church anyway. Even though they find the pastor, the, uh, the pastor's rigid on this, the pastor's rigid on this, and I'm not. But you know what? The pastor does that because of their faith and because of their conviction. So even though I may differ with the pastor on this issue, I still accept the pastor. And the pastor still accepts me. Maybe the pastor looks at that person and says, oh, you're too liberal. You're too liberal in this area, this area, this area, and I have the pulpit, and I'm going to preach on that issue until you stop it with your liberal da-da-da-da-da. Well, the, the two of them agree to disagree, but they accept one another because they're doing it because of faith. Again, this is on disputable matters. This is not on matters of, of command, of uh, very clear things in Scripture. This is on disputable matters. What's the next thing? The person withholds judgment. The person removes obstacles. Paul says, I don't want to put an obstacle in front of my brother or my sister to somehow damage their faith. If I know that that person is coming to my house and that person does not, does not touch a drop of alcohol, I am not going to put it at the table. I disagree with them. 
but I love them and I accept their faith and I will therefore not put the alcohol at the table. Even though I couldn't be no issue to me, it would be an issue to them and I don't want to damage their faith because their faith is precious to them and their faith should be precious to me. That's a disciple. I remove obstacles. I pursue peace with people. I don't pursue war and conflict over disputable matters. I pursue peace with people. I'm looking to be at peace with someone. I'm looking to edify somebody else, to build up somebody else in their faith. I'm not looking to tear them down on a disputable matter. Let me give you another example. And, you know, this, this, is, this is kind of overlaps into two areas. Person comes to Christ, and they are a chain smoker. They smoke and smoke and smoke and smoke. Okay, they're a chain smoker. But they've come to Christ. They know that, you know, this gonna, it's really bad for them. It's bad for their heart. It's bad for their lungs. It could cause cancer. They see the pictures on the cigarette box. You know, they know all that stuff. They've come to Christ. They know that. You see them run outside, you know, and have their smoke break and, and run back in, and they hope nobody sees them. You need to be very, very careful, folks, that you do not heap condemnation on people like that, that you do not. It, that, people come to Christ in all sorts of ways, and folks, you know, I've heard the other side of the argument, too, some of the greatest preachers of 100 years ago, 200 years ago, smoked pipes and all of this stuff. But I'm talking about the way you handle this. You start condemning and you start judging. You know what you're going to do to that person? You're going to damage their faith. And this is not what God wants. He wants you to edify the person. You edify a person. When you edify a person, they grow. When you condemn them, you damage their faith. When you damage their faith, they could lose it all. Over what, folks? A cigarette? I mean, you've you got to be very, very careful how you handle these things. No, I'm not for smoking and all of that, but folks, how you deal with it. This is what Paul is pouring his heart out to in Romans chapter 14. You edify a person, you pursue peace, and you be very careful in how you handle these kinds of disputable things issues. So this is the black and white gray zone. If, the, if there are musicians who are here, I'm not sure if there are, but if you want to come and you want to play for a little bit, guys, you're very welcome to do that. It's a bit of a different message, uh, but I want to, to close and to pray for you uh, in this whole context. If you feel comfortable just standing with me as we finish up here today. No, it's a little bit different. You don't often hear messages like this, but it's a whole chapter, folks, in the book of Romans on this. Way back in the first century, Paul is addressing this and trying to deal with it. Father, I pray for the people here, people there who are online, people who are going to watch this later and look at recordings and listen and so on. Uh, Lord, you made us all different, and uh, we have differing views sometimes as a result and we just thank you for the way that you make it so practical in the scripture 
in this whole regard. But I pray, God, I pray for people and they get so, sometimes so irate and so angered over something that can seem so small. Lord, would you help us to grow in our faith? Would you help us, Lord, to look at our brother and sister in Christ with eyes of faith? Lord, with eyes of hope, with eyes of love and of grace and of mercy and of acceptance, God. Would you help us to pursue the path of discipleship? Would you help us to resist the temptation to immediately jump to judgment? Would you help us, Lord, to be like Jesus in the way that he handled people, in the way that he loved people and yet held to a standard of holiness at the same time? Would you help us, Lord, to navigate even in these complex times? I pray for parents in the room and, Lord, their children are walking through this kind of stuff, even at young ages and what's right and what's wrong and what's disputable and what's not disputable and all of these things. Lord, give us wisdom, but may we pursue the heart of Jesus more and more and, and show that uh, edification and that peace with others. We pray even this week, Lord, for opportunities to edify people and to strengthen people's faith we pray to that end in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your kids and um, we'll continue the series on the book of Romans next week. If you're a guest here today, just meet me at the front and I'd love to take your card. God bless you. Have a great Sunday, everyone.